distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I tend to prefer looking at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or MacOS. Well, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 19, recorded on Wednesday, the 20th of January, 2021. This episode, we're taking on Ubuntu Studio, Garuda Linux, and Lubuntu. We are happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try, whether Debian Red Hat, Art, Sousa, Mandriva, Slackware, Gentoo, or perhaps even BSD-based. We are distanced and distracted, but as healthy as we can manage. I'm still not used to my new temporary teeth, so I'm running without them and hope you will forgive and understand me. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. I almost have my new studio set up. I tried a number of distros this month, only to have some of them not allow me to install them on a UEFI system. One installed but would not write grub and gives me a kernel panic error late in step one, but I finally got something installed, which you will hear about later this episode. I've had a really good holiday season, but still have income insecurity in a big way, with schools closed and my other jobs still attempting to fly. This will be my last episode doing a distro review on the Kudu, as Mintcast team member Joshua Hawk gifted me with a 2016 Dell Inspiron 13 7353 2-in-1. It came with Fedora, but I've gone through a whole carousel of distros and landed on Mint 20.1 Mate, but that will go away when I pick my next distro. What's going on with you, Dale? I've had my share of computer issues last month and this month. I was using Manjaro Plasma for a couple months. A day after we recorded last month, I needed to print something, but my printer was missing from cups on both computers. Apparently an update must have broken the files that cups needed. After about two hours of troubleshooting, all I managed to do was print a test page from cups and nothing else. So Mint Cinnamon was next on my list of distros. I installed it on my Ryzen 9 desktop and my T460 ThinkPad. I'm pretty happy with it. That was a quick fix in my opinion. When I came home this month, I woke up a couple days ago and noticed my mini ITX computer was dead. A great start to my morning. So I got some cereal and turned on my desktop. I installed updates in Mint and noticed 
there was an updated 5.8 kernel, so I thought I would install it. Well, that was a mistake. I looked up the warranty on my mini ITX, and about 20 minutes or so later, I lost internet on my desktop. I rebooted to a screen full of kernel messages after diving down a rabbit hole of extremely vague kernel messages. I tracked it down to SATA port connected to my Samsung 860 Evo SSD and decided to try another kernel. So far, the 5.8.0-33 has been working fine. My judgment and critical thinking were clouded that morning due to getting into an annoyed mood after my computer died. Oddly, I tried the 5.8.0-38 again today, and I'm not getting any more kernel messages. If anyone else has an MSI X570-A Pro motherboard, let me know if you experience any SATA kernel messages. On a positive note, I installed my Rode PSA microphone arm. I'm hoping it'll isolate some desk noise compared to the desktop stand my microphone came with. So what's new for you, Tony? Oh, well, so uh, the holidays here in the UK were very subdued as we were only allowed to have one other person for Christmas lunch. <laughs> and then on Christmas Day, and that was just on Christmas Day itself due to the increasing issues with uh, COVID-19 here. Right after New Year, we went into a full stay-at-home order again and are only allowed out for essential shopping. Work if you cannot do it from home. Not that that applies to me. Uh, medical appointments and daily exercise. Uh, all the non-essential shops are shut and bars and restaurants are all closed and only takeaway is allowed. You can only meet with one other individual while out exercising and you're not allowed to sit and even have an alfresco meal with that person while out. So no picnics! Uh, although the weather here has been quite cold, so you probably wouldn't want to do that anyway. <laughs> On the Linux front, I updated my Mint 20 uh, laptop to 20.1, uh, which went without a hitch. Not a, not many major changes, uh, as it's still based on Ubuntu 20.04.1, uh, but a new f uh, feature is Hypnotics, which is an IPv IPTV player. If you're not already upgraded, check it out. This feature's worth the upgrade on its own. So shall we move on to updates? Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Open Mandriva LX 4.2 has a release candidate out, and Magia 8 has a beta 2. Open SUSE 15.3 is alpha, Mint 20.1 is out and includes a fun new tool, Hypnotics, as Tony just mentioned, for streaming internet TV and web apps for turning your favorite websites into their own desktop app. Has anything caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us, Dale? GhostBSD updated to 1.24.1 and created a new live image using the ZFS file system. Bug fixes for their Linux Steam support called Linuxilator along with a new kernel and other changes. Slack Omate and KDE ISOs are still at version 7.3, although their open box edition is at 7.4. It was updated to kernel 5.10.4 and the latest update from Slackware's current tree. Some of the updates include 
Firefox to 84.0.1 and LibreOffice to 7.0.4.2. Lastly, Solus is continuing to work on their next release according to their Twitter feed. Data Drake, who is a member of the dev team, has been streaming his work on Twitch. Joshua Strobel, lead dev, has created a Patreon to quote his tweet, quote, I'm incredibly excited to be launching my Patreon and with your support pursuing the goal of working on open source desktop focused software full time, end quote. How about you, Tony? Well, I've not been paying much attention to the Linux world apart from the Mint 20.1 release, which I mentioned earlier. So shall we move on to our first distro this month? (laughs) Which is you, Tony. It is. So I'm back again. So this month I'm going to uh, review Ubuntu Studio 2010. Uh, Just to let you know, Ubuntu Studio is an official spin of the main Ubuntu branch with an emphasis on creators of all types. So that's graphics, audio and visual. And as such, has a myriad of software to make this possible installed out of the box. Since 2010, it's been using the KDE Plasma as uh, the default desktop environment. And prior to this, it was using XFCE. So if you're still on the uh, 2004 you'll be uh, on uh, XFCE until the next long-term release. But if you've done the upgrade, you'll now be on KDE. So my hardware for this install, I actually installed it on both my desktop and my uh, laptop. So the desktop I'm using, I put it on one of the drives in my IC dock. And that's my HP Tower PC that's got an Intel Core i7-3770 CPU with four cores and eight threads running at 3.4 gigs. I've got 24 gig of RAM in that and a GeForce 8400 graphics card. Not the most powerful card, but it works for me at the moment. I also installed it to one of my Toshiba Z30s, the 13.4 inch laptop with an Intel Core i5-4210 uh, CPU with two cores and four threads running at 1.7 gigahertz to 2.7. It's got 128 gig uh, M2 SSD and 8 gig of DDR3 RAM. So installation ease and issues. So on the desktop PC, I upgraded. I already had uh, a 2004 install uh, on the drive, so I went for the upgrade, and this went really smoothly. Simple process, you've got to go into the software and updates menu and select the update tab and then ensuring that the notify me of new Ubuntu versions is enabled. Once this is done, then the update manager gives you the notification that a new version is available. And I was able after that, I was able to run the update and install it. At the end of the process, I was able to reboot and I was presented with a nice KDE Plasma desktop environment which, as I said earlier, is the new default uh, desktop for Ubuntu Studio. With the laptop, it was a little bit more tricky. I had intended to try a dual boot, but again, I ran into the uh, same issue that I had previously with KOS last month, which is also a Plasma distro. Well, not last month, the month before, because I didn't do a review last month. 
when it starts to uh, partition the drive, you know, you get the, all those options, but then it says there's not a vi viable partition to do the install. It does take the space up for the install, but it does not format it. Uh, as much as I tried, I wasn't able to resolve the issue, so I ended up doing the solar install and nuke and paved and uh, installed uh, Ubuntu Studio on the laptop. So once I decided on the course of action, the install was a really smooth process, as a, with any Ubuntu or Mint installation using the Calamaris installer. We've talked about it many times, so I'm not going to bore you with the details again. Suffice to say, in about 15 minutes, I had a working laptop with Ubuntu Studio 2010 on it, and a few minutes, you know, 15 minutes or so later, it was fully updated. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Again, nothing much to report here. Both the laptop and the tower PC were all working as expected. As the tower had been an upgrade, the NVIDIA driver was still in place, so I didn't have to do anything about that. Although a few weeks down the line, uh, as I didn't pay attention to updates, uh, the video resolution did get a bit screwed up. But after running the update manager, this was all fixed and everything went back to normal. So it was purely me being lazy. Ease of use. Now, as we normally say, this is Ubuntu, so it's adult years if you're familiar with Ubuntu. The only issue you have after reboot with the uh, new studio is that the Plasma taskbar is set to the right-hand side of the screen. And if you're not familiar with Plasma, uh, it might not be immediately obvious how to move it to the uh, where you want it to go. But it's actually quite simple. Right click on the taskbar and then in the middle of the taskbar you'll get a select uh, edit, um, sorry, you'll get a little menu comes up when you right click and it's select edit task, uh, edit panel and in the middle of the panel there are two options, screen edge and height. Navigate the kernel across to the crosshairs next to the screen edge. Left click on this and then you can move the panel to whichever edge that you want it to on the screen. So I always choose to have my panel at the bottom of the screen. So I just uh, navigated the panel to there and uh, all was good. It is simple, but it caught me out first couple of times I tried it. As when you when the taskbar's vertical, it wasn't as it's not quite as obvious and the little menu can obscure the screen edge if you're not careful. So once this is sort, uh, sorted to the way you like, my task panel's at the bottom, like I say, it's all good. But just keep an eye out just to make sure you can see the, uh, the, the thing that says screen edge and then click on that and drag it where you want. The other thing is that you have all the software available in the Ubuntu repositories. Uh, you've got the traditional uh, repos and the Snap Store. You can also download Deb's uh, files from the internet and uh, install them with the included QApp package installer. So there's no shortage of uh, applications and it all works uh, as it does in vanilla Ubuntu. Just one example of software I installed was the Mumble Snap, as it's the latest 1.3.3 and works with our server, unlike the 1.3.2 version in the repos that doesn't like Mum our Mumble server security certificate for some reason. So the latest version works okay, but the th uh, 1.3.2 bolts at it, sets the um, certificates out of date, but I don't know what's going on there. So after uh, first boot, memory and disk use. On the laptop, uh, laptop at first boot, 
Top is reporting 640 mega RAM usage and NeoFetch reports about 740 megabyte. However, on the desktop, Top uh, reports 1 gig of RAM usage and NeoFetch about 30 mega so more. So it looks like Plasma manages memory usage based on the resources available and obviously is quite good at doing that. The laptop shows using 12 gig of uh, HDD stroke SSD space after installing of a couple of additional applications. But the desktop's been in use for quite a bit. Like I say, this was an upgrade and I'm currently it's showing 30 gig of uh, installed software, including the, the, the update. So if the laptop's typical, about 12 gig, that's, that's uh, ample. So if you've got a 32 gig SSD with portable storage solution for use on the road, that'd be great. So if you're trying to convert to, say, an old Chromebook that's limited to 32 gigabyte, you shouldn't have an issue. As long as you've got an external uh, hard drive that you can plug in. Ease of finding help. There's nothing to say. It's Ubuntu. So there's absolutely loads of help out there to fix any issues you may have. I didn't, but I know it's there if you need it. Plays nice with others. Well, this is where it fell down with the laptop, as I couldn't get the laptop to dual boot, which is strange because I've never had an issue with this with other Ubuntu variants in the past. But this is the second time this has happened with a Plasma-based distro in recent months, so I'm not sure if it's a Plasma issue. Stability. No issues to report apart from me forgetting to update and having the video glitch, which was fixed after I ran the updates. And then this was uh, only an issue with the NVIDIA card on the tower. No issues in the laptop at all, So, because uh, that's running uh, integrated graphics. Similar distros to check out. So KDE Neo, uh, Kubuntu 20.10, uh, any of the other Ubuntu uh, spins that have uh, upgraded to 20.10, and of course vanilla Ubuntu. So my ratings for this, uh, ease of installation, New user, uh, I've given it 7 out of 10 because I'm not sure uh, if they had the same problem as me with uh, trying to do the dual boot, whether they'd figure out what was the issue. But anyway, I've said experience user 9 out of 10. Hardware issues, didn't have any, so that's 10. Ease of finding help, again, 10. Didn't have to use it, but I know it's there. Ease of use, 9 out of 10. I think that's more to do with uh, just getting more familiar with Plasma because uh, there's a few little things that are different in Plasma. Plays nice with others. I've scored that a zero, but I don't know what the issue is. So uh, if someone out there uh, has any idea or has experienced the same problem and managed to resolve it, let us know. Stability, 10 out of 10. So my overall rating is 9 out of 10. So my final comments. This is one very fine spin on Ubuntu, and the more I use it, the more I start to like Plasma. But the main reason to install Ubuntu Studio over one of the other flavours is the vast amount of creative software that's included in the install by default. As podcasters, we use a lot of audio and streaming tools that you may have to install separately uh, in other distributions. But they were all here at first boot. This goes for video and graphics tools. There are things on this system I'd never even heard of. So if you're a creator, this is a good distro to check out and discover new software that you may, fi- uh, may find becomes essential to your workflow. 
I haven't heard of the KDE issues in the past, but this is their first release with Plasma, so maybe they'll get it right next issue. Yeah, yeah, it could. But like I say, I had the same issue with the uh, KOS a couple of months ago, and that was running Plasma as well. So I'm not sure if it's uh, something to do with Plasma. That's quite odd. I've dealt with a lot of Plasma distros in the past and have not had the problems, but I haven't done it in the last few months, so... Yeah. Oh, well. If anyone's got an idea, let us know. So, over to you, Dale. Well, this month, I have a listener-requested distro, and that distro is Garuda Linux. So, Garuda Linux gets their name and imagery from Hindu mythology. It is a bird-like creature similar to an eagle. Garuda is based upon Arch Linux, and its roots are in India. Their eight development team members are from India, Germany, Austria, Australia, and the west coast of Canada per their website. They offer the following desktop environments and window managers. KDE, GNOME or GNOME, XFCE, Cinnamon, Mate, LXQT with K1, Wayfire, Qtile, BSPWM, and I3WM. And I've never heard of Wayfire. I'll have to look that one up. Some notable items that make Garuda stand out is their choice of kernel and file system. They use the Zen kernel. Now, according to the Arch Wiki, It is a collaborative effort of kernel hackers to provide the best Linux kernel possible. Any deeper discussion on it is beyond the scope of our podcast, but incidentally, I've heard that gamers uh, seem to like it because they seem to get better performance out of the the game, so it might be something you might want to look into if you're a gamer. The other notable item is the use of BTRFS which stands for the B tree file system. It is pronounced ButterFS. Its main feature is copy on write, referred to as cal. In short, it doesn't update files directory when they are saved. It will create a new file, verify it was written correctly, and finally delete the original file. So in case of a power failure or other issue, the original file will remain intact. Another feature is the ability of taking a snapshot of the system files. In the event where an update could cause a problem, that action can be undone by replacing them with the snapshot image that was created before that update was applied. My hardware is pretty much the same as it's been in the past distros. The laptop I used is a Lenovo T430. It has an Intel dual-core i5-3320M, 2.6 gigahertz CPU, 14-inch display using the Intel graphics, with 4 gigs of RAM and a 240 gig SSD. Now, the installation and ease of use. Since I installed Linux Mint Cinnamon on my main computers, I decided to use the Cinnamon edition of Garuda. I'm somewhat new to Cinnamon, so it gives me more time to get used to using it. Installation started off as normal, with me writing the ISO to the USB stick with DD. I still had Void Linux on the SSD from the month before, so I decided to do a dual boot. Garuda uses the Calabaris installer. 
Calamaris is an independent project that many distro maintainers use to install their distro. It is very customizable. Distros such as Arco Linux, Endeavor OS, Farron OS, KD Neon, and Manjaro, as well as many others use it. With that said, the installation is pretty straightforward. Upon booting up the USB stick, it recognized that I had Void Linux installed. It presented me with the usual choices. Replace Void partition with the Garuda, wipe the drive and install Garuda, or install alongside Void. I chose the latter. I was able to resize the drive for half to each distro. The remaining was the standard of questions, language, location, username, password. During the account creation, you are given the option of logging in automatically. You can also choose to use the same password for your administrator account, which in turn enables sudo. Those options are available via checkboxes. Finally, you are shown a summary of your selected choices. The only thing left to do is click install and wait. My install of Garuda took about 20 minutes, but I think that was due to my mold data connection. I was doing this while I was on the road working. I used my smartphone as a Wi-Fi hotspot. Once rebooted, I saw the best themed grub screens I have seen in a long time. Now the post-installation hardware facts in any issues. All the hardware in the laptop was detected and worked with no configuration needed, except for me disabling the touchpad. I connected to my home Wi-Fi and my smartphone's Wi-Fi hotspot. The only issue I had was cups was not configured. I had the same issue I had with Manjaro, though it was easier to set up here than it was on Manjaro. From the welcome screen, I clicked on the Garuda Assistant. From there, you can enable all the many services available in Linux, like various audio servers like Pulse Audio, Alsa, Jack, and Pipewire. There's also virtualization, printing, scanning, etc. To enable printing, I clicked on the checkbox next to cups.socket. Printing was already checked. It prompted me for the sudo password. After the installation window opened and installed the necessary hardware, it doesn't ask you to reboot, but I found out you need the reboot. After rebooting and signing in again, I was able to open cups and configure my printer. For a run-through on that, listen to my Slackle review in episode 15. Another good thing I can say about Garuda is that my printer was set for U.S. paper sizes, unlike my experience with Manjaro. I noticed that rebooting fixed a lot of issues when using the Assistant. So if you have any problems, when in doubt, reboot. There are also many maintenance options available. As of January 19th, 2021, it is using Zen Kernel 5.10.8-112 and Cinnamon version 4.8.5. Now upon first login, you are presented with a welcome screen. I must say it is quite a welcome screen and it is on par with other Linux distros. But wait, there's more, a lot more. As I previously mentioned, the dev team for Garuda has really gone out of their way creating GUI configuration menus. There is a setting manager, gamer, network assistant, boot options, and time shift. The GUI application that creates the system snapshots. They have a system cleaner, which is Bleachbit, 
which will remove temp, cache, cookies, and other files. The Add Remove Software app is very nice and is also where you check for updates via the tab at the top of the window. Searching for apps is quick and will clearly show you where the app is being sourced from. Unlike Manjaro, Garuda has the AUR enabled by default. Garuda also does not have Snap or Flatpak enabled or even installed, and I didn't see any GUI functionality either, so if you do install it, it appears you will be able to only access that via the terminal. Because of the ButterFS snapshot integration, the installation and removal of software updates are not as fast in other distros. This is because it is making and removing snapshots as needed. Another thing to point out is the heavy use of the AUR, which if you're not familiar, that is user contributed software from the Arch community. If you have an older or slower CPU, prepare to wait while software is compiled and configured once downloaded. I am not a fan of the Z shell, at least how it is configured in Garuda. Granted, I have never used it, and it's also a personal preference. It is way too busy and gets in the way of seeing what I've typed and the output that I am looking for. They are showing the Tux Penguin icon, your current working directory, system stats like CPU, disk, network, and etc., and the time. There is so much that in a small terminal window, it'll wrap around to the next line. I also noted that it is slower than Bash, which is the default on most Linux distros. The command line package managers worked fine. Aside from uncommon command switches, Garuda includes Pacman from Arch and Pamek from Manjaro. For example, to perform a system update using Pacman, you would type Pacman dash capital S lowercase y lowercase u, where Capital S is synchronize the packages, Y is download a fresh copy of the package database, and U is upgrade the out-of-date packages. Using PAMEC from Manjaro, you would type PAMEC update. I use them once each, otherwise I use the GUI package manager. The default theme is called Suite. The first time I signed in to Garuda, it reminded me of when I used to use Enlightenment Window Manager back in the 90s into the early 2000s. It also looked a lot like Bodhi's Moksha or Moksha desktop. That is not an insult against Garuda. It is a very well done theme and brought back a lot of memories. The functionality of Cinnamon is what you would expect to have in Mint or other distros that use it. I was able to connect to my Samba server without any problems. I just entered my username and the workgroup name because I don't use the default workgroup name. The file manager opened up and showed my files. I was able to access them with no problems. Now the utilization on the uh, distribution. The install size on my SSD was about 14 gigabytes. And the memory upon first sign in is about 713 megabytes. The average with Firefox open with a couple tabs and Telegram, I saw it running oh, around 1 to 1.4 gigabytes in use. I didn't need any help, so I didn't really need to seek out any. I did, though, read their wiki available on their website, and they also have a forum available on their website. 
Other forms of contact are by way of Telegram and Twitter, which is listed on their page. Plays nice with others. I was able to dual boot it with Void Linux using BIOS. I didn't use a UEFI. I've been booting into both and running updates just to make sure they're not going to fight over who has control of Grub. All was good there. Now for stability, I never had any crashes or lockups. The only issue previously mentioned was the need to reboot after enabling some services. After the reboot, everything I tried worked. Now some similar distros to check out would be, of course, Manjaro. And another spin would be Arco. Now, for my ratings, for the ease of installation for a new user, I'm on the fence at around the 6 or 7. I'm giving it a 7 only because it's using Calamaris, so it's basically point and click. It's nothing different than what you would have in, like, say, KD Neon or any, any of those uh, uh, distributions. Now, an experienced user, it's going to be 10 out of 10. Just point and click and you're done. It can be pointed out that a new user probably would not uh, would look at Garuda and say, "No, this is not for me." Yeah, that I was I was gonna say I was gonna say that Moss at the end of my ratings. Okay. So yeah, I I, I was getting I was feeling that way. T- Ease of installation, new user don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much to go th- to go through the rest of my settings here, and I'll speak on that. Um, the hardware issues was eight eight out of ten. I I took some points off because every other distro, well, not every, but every mainstream distro you install, the printer works in the live CD. You don't even have to do anything. So the fact that the printer doesn't work now, I'm talking about network printers. So yeah, I may be an outlier there. Um, if people have any printers connected, it's going to work regardless. But for, if you have like a network printer you're going to have to uh, jump through some hoops to get it to work. So I gave it 8 out of 10. Ease of finding help, I really didn't. I didn't give it a rating because it didn't really need any. Uh, Ease of use, I took some points off for uh, this because, unfortunately, and this is not a knock against it, it it is still Arch. So I gave it a 6 out of 10 just because when things break, you're up the creek without a paddle if you don't know where to go to find out how to fix it. Uh, the plays nice with others. I uh, gave it a 10 out of 10. And stability, I still took a, took a couple points off because, like I said, it's still Arch-based. And it's going to be pretty much on the shoulders of the devs to make sure the packages aren't going to break anything. So the overall rating is 8 out of 10, but not for a new user. If you're a new user, put it in the, if you know how to do a VM, put it in the VM. Go ahead and play with it. Even though it says... It will not work in the VM. I've heard some people say that it does work, but that's why I'm saying if you're a new user and you're not really comfortable with installing distros and that, I would wait until you get a little more experience on this one before trying this one. Now, my final comments. Overall, this is a very nice distro considering it is Arch and its roots. And not needing the terminal is quite remarkable. And just so everybody knows, I'm not an arch hater. I'm just, I'm just being a realist. It all depends on your ability to find help and, and problem solving is what arch comes down to. In any case, I didn't experience any package breaking during the updates the past month. My only concern about it is their dependence on the AUR. 
and that can be mitigated by installing and configuring Snap or Flatpak. Though you will be down in the terminal typing Flatpak space update and whatever the command is for Snap because I don't use Snap. But yeah, I noticed while scrolling through the uh, their package archive, I can't see, I can't really give you a percentage, but there seems to be an equal amount that's in their repository and an equal amount in the uh, AUR. So it is clearly marked, so it's not like you're going to get a surprise. Let's see what Moss has to say about Lubuntu. Thank you, Dale. Lubuntu is intended to be a lighter, friendlier Ubuntu for people with limited resources on their computers. They switched from LXDE to LXQT in 19.10, and it looked pretty sparse and unusable then, but it looks like all their work paid off with a 20.10 edition. Still, it's Ubuntu, so it could be difficult finding illuminating things to say about it. My laptop is a 2014 model System76 Kudu 3 with a 17.3-inch screen, an i7 processor, and Intel graphics, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 1 terabyte SSD. Installation ease and uses? Lubuntu used the Calamaris installer, my favorite, but it was themed to the point it nearly looked like ubiquity. Everything went smoothly, as it nearly always does with this fine installer. Post-installation hardware facts and issues, everything seems to just work. The project replaced the Falcon web browser with Firefox in 2019. It also has its own terminal and other fairly standard apps. LXDE was written in GTK2+, which is now completely discontinued. The developer expressed several issues he had with GTK3+, refused to use that version of GTK, and started experimenting with porting it to using the QT tools. Another similar project, Razor QT, later merged with this project, creating LXQT. The first release of LXQT was in May 2014, and the project completed its split from LXDE in May 2018. Ease of use. I must say LXQT has come a very long way in the past two releases, and now looks both beautiful and fully functional. The one difficulty I'm having is moving app launchers to the taskbar or even the desktop. I especially wanted to get Terminal on the taskbar and have failed to do so. You have to go through the menus to find Terminal. The instructions on the website for adding things to the taskbar make it sound like you have to add the entire application menu, and those instructions confused me so I didn't try it. Memory and disk use. It isn't the lightest system on my laptop, but at 486 megabytes, reported by NeoFetch, it's really not bad. That comes in behind Bodhi and Peppermint 10, but it ties with PC Linux OS Mate. With a few tabs open in Firefox, NeoFetch and Stacer both report 1.7 gigabytes RAM use. Disk usage is 6 gigabytes, so it is pretty light. If you've got a limited SSD, 128 or even 32, you should have plenty of room. Ease of finding help. Ubuntu forums and Telegram and Discord groups are all over the place. I was a bit surprised to find there was a specific Lubuntu forum at lubuntu.net, but since it is an official flavor, you can probably get help at ubuntuforums.org and askubuntu.com as well. Plays nice with others. It works just fine with my nine other distros on the laptop, as it should, being Ubuntu. Last week, I did reduce the number of distros on my laptop to eight and had no further issues with Lubuntu. So, thank you, G Parthead. <laughs> Stability. Are you getting tired of hearing us say this yet? It's Ubuntu. 
It's stable. Similar distros to check out. Manjaro LXQT, Fedora LXQT, Alt Linux, and Sparky Linux LXQT Full Edition. So let's zip through my ratings as a new user, 9 out of 10, maybe 10. Uh, sometimes Calamaris is just so easy that you don't have to think about it. An experienced user, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community and web, 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. I downrated it for not being able to move apps to the desktop. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating is 9 out of 10. Final comments. It's fairly light, it's very pretty, and it's simple to use, other than it being difficult to move apps to the taskbar or desktop. I think most people who try this distro will be happy with it unless they really need a feature only found in another desktop environment. Let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode. From December 12th to today, January 20th. Gecko Linux 152.2012.10. NewTix 20.12.0. UB port 16.04 OTA-15, Q4OS 3.13, Quart Linux 4.3.5, 4M Linux 35.0, Parted Magic 2020 underline 12 underline 25, OSMC 2020.11-1, Deepin 20.1, Slackle 7.4 open box, Nitrix 2020.12.31, Septor 2021, Archbang 0101, RescueZilla 2.1.2, Garuda 210101, Xtix 21.1, Puppy 7.0 Slacko, Linux Mint 20.1 All Flavors, Cloud Ready 87.3.28, Raspi OS 2021-01-12, Blue Star 5.10.6, KDE Neon 2021-0114, Alpine 3.13.0, KOS 2021.01, Arco Linux 21.03.1, Ghost BSD 21.01.15, Zero Shell 3.9.5, which might just be an app, Geeks Box 2021-0117, and just this morning, Archman 2021.01.20. Deep breath. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Lots of numbers. It's all about the numbers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in feedback, I didn't see anything new in email. We had some good discussions in the Telegram group. We're quite pleased to see our numbers rise, and our last four episodes are in the top five in terms of downloads. I did get a new article submission for It's Moss, and welcome any such submissions. Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors, or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal. This month, I picked up two new sponsors, Linux Lava 114 and John in Glasgow. Join SK Beans in receiving my monthly gratitude. Joshua Hawk donated a laptop as well. I also had a rather high dollar donation. Uh, $74 is a lot of money to me. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. 
We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. Our next show will be recorded on or about Tony, February 17th. Good for you. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Ben's on me back. Yeah. Uh, Tony's had some back problems and stomach problems lately. We want him to get better. Yes, definitely. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. Dale is on Telegram as at Dale underline CDL. Email dmiracle74 at gmail.com. And you can contact either Tony or me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Joshua Lowe for the work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating and adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed in this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkit, and for all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open-source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. 